All right, open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. As we continue our study through the book of Ezekiel. And the topic tonight, and the title tonight, is Irresponsible Shepherds. Irresponsible Shepherds. And the topic tonight deals with the irresponsible shepherds of God's people. And uh, God's going to deal with them. You know, when, when God calls you to be a servant, to be a leader, you know, he expects, you know, certain things. Chapter 34 here is kind of a sequel to chapter 22. Chapter 34 and chapter 22 calls out the sins of the nation Israel. And it calls out the sins of the leaders who fail the people of God. And instead of the figures of, that God has used, uh, figures of dross and the lion or the wolf and its prey, here Ezekiel used the image of a flock and its selfish and corrupt shepherds. You can also find similarities with the rebuke of the false prophets and prophetesses in chapters uh, 13, 1 through chapter 14, verse 11. One problem with restoration was deciding what God was going to do about the corrupt leaders who led the, the nation to ruin. Chapter 34 here deals with this question. Kings and leaders were often called shepherds in those days. And these shepherds or these leaders were more than military and political leaders. They had a very important responsibility for the moral and spiritual guidance of the nation, just like leaders do today. The basic connection between these leaders and the future hope of restoration is seen in these messages. The failure of the false shepherds on the one hand was presented in contrast to the hope of the coming perfect shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 34 and 36 are full of these references about the hope of restoration under the leadership of this perfect future king, which is Jesus Christ. Because God was determined to redeem Israel and Judah, the people were returned to the land, according to verses 13 through 16. And in the land, they'll be be cleansed and converted, chapter 36, 25 through 27. They'll be brought together as one nation in chapter 37, verse 11, and chapters 15 through 23. They'll be ruled by the Messiah, according to verses 11 through 16 here, and 23 and 24. They'll be victorious over their enemies, according to verse 27, and they will achieve everlasting peace and security. So chapter 34 involves symbolic messages to the leaders of Israel, their shepherds, their prophets. The messages consist of condemnation and the announcement that they would be removed in verses 1 through 10. And then the Lord's announcement that as owner of the flock, he was going to take over as shepherd according to verses 11 through 16. So in the symbolic messages to the flock, God announced that he was going to judge and deliver the people, verses 17 through 24. The final message to the people is a promise to offer them a covenant of peace, in verses 25 through 31. The false prophets of Israel have now been proven to be liars because the destruction of Jerusalem has come true, just like Ezekiel prophesied that it would. So now, God has a word to say about these false prophets. Verses 1 through 10 covers the condemnation of the corrupt shepherds. So let's begin now, chapter 34, with verses 1 through 6. 
And it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the flat fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were weak or who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. God condemns the corrupt shepherds, the spiritual leaders of his people. It's, it's quite an indictment. God is the one who is saying these things. Je- Ezekiel is just repeating what God told Ezekiel to say to the people. So God is the one speaking here. He's the one saying these things about the false prophets. And then he gives the reasons for their condemnation. First of all, God says they didn't try to meet the people's needs. They only used the people for their own selfish purposes. It says in verse 3, you did not feed the flock. Jesus told Peter in John 21, 15, he said, feed my sheep. Secondly, they didn't take special care of those in need which were the helpless members of society. Instead, they treated them with heartless cruelty, verse 4 says. And because the people didn't have encouraging moral or spiritual leadership, the people wandered away from the Lord. And they became a target for idolatry and immorality, according to verses 5 and 6. The purpose for ministry is not to beg for money all the time, ever. Or to use the money for personal gain, but to give out the word of God. To feed his sheep. This was God's criticism and condemnation of the false prophets. They hadn't given the people what they needed. And that is the word of God. And this should still be the standard that we judge ministry by today. Does the ministry teach the word of God? More people are interested in different kinds of ministries, you know, singles ministries and and, and, uh, addiction ministries. And here's the thing. Whoever's leading those ministries, what are they going to teach them? If it's not the Bible, it's of no value. But those things can be learned in the body, in the teachings in the church. That's why we don't have support ministries. If you're sitting here and you're listening to the Word of God, whatever your difficulty is, you're going to hear it taught from the Word of God. We don't need a special ministry for some uh, ill that we have. The Word of God is the remedy of all of our ills. So again, um, you know, the standard of a a ministry that is right on is is a ministry that teaches the Word of God. Peter said in 1 Peter 5.2, he said, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, that is, not to do it, you know, for, 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 for profit, He said, do it eagerly. He says, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. 
Peter reminded the shepherds, the shepherd elders, of their God-given responsibilities. He said in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. Feed the flock of God. The word feed in verse 4 means to to tend as a shepherd. The shepherd had many jobs in taking care of their flock. He had to protect the sheep from thieves. He had, you know, and the pastor must protect people, God's people, from those who want to spoil the flock, who want to mislead the flock. Somebody had said, every church has three animals in the flock, sheep, goats, and wolves. The job of biblical leadership is simple. Love the sheep, convert the goats, and kill the wolves. Sometimes the sheep don't like it when their shepherds rebuke them or warns them. But this ministry is for their own good. You know, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, Preach the word of God. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. A faithful shepherd not only preaches to his flock or protects his flock, he also led them from pasture to pasture so that they might be adequately fed. The psalmist said in Psalm 23.2, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. The, 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 the shepherd would take the flock to green pastures, not to dead grass and to where there were you know, weeds. And he, he led them from pasture to pasture where, he could, where the sheep could be nourished. The shepherd always went before the flock and searched out the land. So again, there would be nothing there to harm his flock. The psalmist said in Psalm 23, 2, he leads me beside the still waters. He said in Psalm 23, 3, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. So notice, the shepherd leads. The shepherd leads. He, checked, he would check for snakes. He would check for pits. He would check for poisonous plants and dangerous animals. It's important for pastors to lead their people into the green pastures of the Word of God so they might feed themselves and grow. And sometimes it's necessary for a shepherd to go after an unruly sheep and give it personal attention. Some pastors are only interested in the crowds. You know, they, 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 they don't make any time for individuals. You know, they don't have that one-on-one time with them. Jesus preached to great multitudes, but he also took times to chat with individuals. He chatted, he, he talked individually with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He talked with the woman at the well in John chapter 4 and others who had spiritual needs. Paul ministered to people personally in Thessalonica, and he loved them dearly. If a sheep is too rebellious, the shepherd may have to discipline him in some way. If a sheep has a special need, the shepherd might carry that sheep in his arms next to his heart. And at the end of each day, the faithful shepherd would go out and he'd examine the flock. And you know what? He would examine each sheep to see if it needed special attention. And then he would anoint that sheep with healing oil. And Psalmist said in Psalm 35, uh, 23, 5, he says, he says that, that you know, he'd anointed the, the head with oil. That anointing oil would be put on the, on the sheep's head if it would get a lot of bugs and flies on it to keep them off. So again, he would look at those sheep and see if they needed special attention. He'd anoint them with the bru- those bruised sheep with anointing oil. He would remove the thorns from their wool. A good shepherd would know each of his sheep by name and would understand the special personality of each one. So you see, it's not an easy thing to be a faithful shepherd of God's sheep. 
And it's a job that never ends and that demands the supernatural power of God if it's going to be done right. And what makes it even more demanding is the fact that the flock is not the shepherd's. The flock is God's flock. And sometimes I hear people say, you know, my church, my people, uh uh-uh. I know what they mean, but strictly speaking, it is God's flock purchased by the precious blood of His Son. So we have to be careful, pastors have to be careful how we minister to God's sheep. Because one day we will give an account of our ministry that God called us to. But on the other hand, one day the sheep will also give an account of how, of, of how they have obeyed their spiritual leaders. Hebrews 13, 17. So both shepherds and sheep have big responsibility, have a big responsibility to each other. <clears throat> and then Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 2, he says, serving as overseers. An overseer is one who looks over the purpose of leading. One who looks over for the purpose of leading. You'll notice that the shepherd, it says in 1 Peter 5-3, it says, it says that, that the shepherd is both among the sheep and over the sheep, which can create problems if the sheep don't understand this. Because he's one of the sheep, the pastor is among the members of the flock. But because he's called to be a leader, the pastor is over the flock as well. Now, sometimes people try to emphasize the among part of the relationship and say, hey, I don't need to pay attention to him. He's one of us. The effective pastor needs both relationships, the among and the over. He must be among his people so that he can get to know them, their needs, their problems, and he needs to be over his people so that he can lead them and help them solve their problems. There mustn't be conflict between pastoring, pasturing and preaching because they both because both ministries they're both ministries of a faithful shepherd the preacher needs to be a pastor so he can apply the word of god to the needs of the people the pastor needs to be a preacher so that he can have authority when he shares in their daily needs and problems the pastor is not to be a lecturer a religious lecturer who just passes on you know biblical information about the bible He's a shepherd who knows his people and he wants to help them through the teaching of the word of God. And being the spiritual leader of a flock, it has its dangers. And Peter pointed out some of the sins that the uh, elders have to avoid. The first was laziness. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 2, he said, you're not to to, uh, be an overseer by compulsion, by distress, by having to or feeling pressured to, but to do it willingly. Because his ministry must not be a job that he feels he has to perform. He should do God's will from the heart. And when a man has a pastor's heart, he loves the sheep. And he loves being among them. And he serves them because he wants to, not because he has to. Or feels, you know, pressed to do it. Now, if a man doesn't have a conscience, the ministry is a good place to be lazy. Because nobody, not a lot of people see what he's doing all the time. Church members rarely ask what their pastor is doing with his time. But I think they'll know as they sit in church and listen to the teachings. Next to laziness, the shepherd had to be aware of not doing it for dishonest gain, Peter said. Now, it's perfectly proper, uh, proper for the church to pay the pastor. And they ought to be as fair and generous as they can. But... 
He's not to be in it for making money. That's not to be his main motive for his ministry. He must not be a lover of money, nor devote himself to pursuing making money. And pastors need to be aware of getting involved to, to be aware of getting involved in money-making schemes that may, you know, detour them from their ministry. And when we first started at the theater over 20 years ago, you know, and we were a new and, and just new starting church, um, I remember a, a real estate guy, nothing against real estate people, he was doing it for the wrong motives. But he came in, he came, mentioned, you know, he gave his name and where his office was, and he gave me a stack of cards. He says, hey, you know, he said, I'd like to help you out starting your new church. He says, I know it takes money. And he says, you know, well, you know, if you hear of people that, that are looking to sell their house or buy their house, you know, he says, give them one of my cards and, and I'll give you a certain percentage of what I make. I, told, hey, I said, hey, brother, I said, no, we don't need that. I said, God's going to take care of all of our needs. And so, you know, another guy, he made coffins. He said, I know you guys do funerals here. Kind of the same thing. He says, here's my card. And, you know, if, if you need a, uh, somebody that looking for a, a casket, I'll give them a good deal and give you a... I said, no, we, just, we don't do that. Or fundraisers. You know, we don't do that. God is the one who's going to take care of us. He has from day one, and he has to this very day, and he's going to till the very end. And you know, when he decides not to, that's when he decides, hey, the, the, the church is done here. That's the, neat, that's the neat thing about knowing that God takes care of you. I don't have to worry about it. I need to do what God's called me to do, and, and, and that's what I'm going to be called for. It's his church. You're his flock. And he's going he's gonna to lead us and guide us wherever he wants to take us. And he's going to provide everything that we need. And when he's through with us, we say, okay, Lord, uh, whatever you want to do. So again, it's just, you know, there are so many things to, to be, you know, in, 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 to watch about, to watch over. The word eagerly here that First Peter says, he says, to, we're to do it eagerly. That means with an eager mind. It means we're to, we're to serve the people. It means with a willingness to serve because of a readiness and an eagerness in our heart. This is the difference between a true shepherd and a hireling. A hireling works because he's paid for it, but a shepherd works because he loves God and he loves the sheep and he has a heart that's devoted to both. Peter said, be an example to the flock. The difference is between dictatorship and leadership. You can't, drive your, you can't drive sheep. You have to lead them. And when you go to, if you get a chance to go to Israel, and I got to go one time, you'll see the shepherd in front of the flock. They were following him. They were following his voice. They were, I never saw him behind cracking a whip. Because what happens when you do that? They'll scatter. You lead them, they'll follow if you're a good shepherd. So it's being an example that the shepherd solves the tension between, or, or the, atten uh, the tension between uh, among the sheep and over the sheep. People are willing to follow a leader who practices what he preaches and gives them a good example to imitate. Peter said, pastors are to be overseers and not overlords. We can't lead people where we have not been ourselves. The only thing that can minister to our deep needs is the word of God. And if a minister is not giving the word of God, he's not ministering to the people. The word must be given out. 
When people are not being fed in a church, they'll scatter like sheep without a shepherd. And you know what? They'll go find some place where they can be fed. There's no reason to criticize them because sheep want to be fed or should want to be fed. That's also the nature of the child of God. He wants to be or should want to hear the word of God. Verses 7 through 10. Therefore, you know, in light of what he just said in indicting them in verses 1 through 6, he says, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherd search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did, uh, and did not feed my flock. He says, therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my flock at their hand and I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more for I will deliver my flock from their mouths that they may no longer be food for them. So God now holds the false shepherds, these 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 poor leaders. He's holding them responsible. He says, I'm against you. I'm against the shepherds just as much as I'm against any sinner or any sin. And I'm going to hold you responsible, he's saying to them. For their irresponsible and selfish lack of leadership, the Lord charged them with being guilty of breaking his trust. And he said, and he said he'd remove them as their shepherds. And he said, the Lord himself, he said, I would, will come and I'm going to rescue my flock and I'm going to save them from you. Being corrupt leaders. Verses 11 through 16. And he goes on to say, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is, he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered <clears throat> on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel in the valleys and in, the, uh, in all the inhabited places of the country. He says, I will feed them in good pasture and their foal shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good, in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God, and I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. I will bind up the broken and I will strengthen what was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. Here you have God's shepherds here speaking. Jesus, who said, I am the good good shepherd. Ezekiel said that Jesus would come and he's coming again. Because he still has to fulfill all the prophecies still concerning his shepherding on the earth. Now we start looking into the future beginning here with verse 11. These are God's words here. They're God's words of comfort to the children of Israel in their captivity and they should listen to him. He's the shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd of the sheep. He says in Psalm 23, 1, I myself will search for my sheep. David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So God says, I will search myself for my sheep. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not lack anything as long as the Lord is my shepherd. 
The thing we need to see in the rest of this chapter is how many times God God uses the wonderful words, I will. I will. We find them 18 times in verses 11 through 29. This is grace upon grace when God says it. The good shepherd one day said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, <clears throat> Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The shepherd also said in John 10, 27 through 28, My sheep hear my voice. He says, And I know them, and they will follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. This is really important to look at certain words here. He said, My sheep hear my voice that is they listen to me he says and i know those sheep who are listening to me he says those are the ones who follow me and i will give those who follow me eternal life and those who follow me shall never perish and those who follow me shall never never be snatched out of my hand you see it's not a blanket for all sheep it's for those who hear my voice it's for those who hear me for those who follow me those are the ones i'll give eternal life it's important that we understand that that's what our wonderful shepherd said ezekiel pointed out the difference of the mistreatment of the of the corrupt shepherds with the detailed carry god himself would give his flock the role of yahweh as a shepherd was a common one in the old testament The role of a shepherd was a king's responsibility. And God said many times, I will. Yahweh promised to hold the prophets responsible, the shepherds, I mean, to hold the shepherds responsible for the sheep. He's going to remove them from watching the flock. He's going to rescue his flocks from the mouth of those false shepherds. And he's going to search for his sheep. He's going to look after his sheep. And he's going to look after them. And he's going to gather them and rescue them from clouds and darkness and gather them from among the nations. It says there, he's going to bring them to their own land. He's going to place them on the mountains of Israel. He's going to take care of the flock in good pasture so that they could lie down in safety. He says, I'm going to search out my lost ones. I'm going to search out my sheep who have strayed away from the flock. I'm going to bind up their injuries. I'm going to destroy the strong who oppose the flock. And I'm going to place one shepherd over them. And I'm going to be their God. I'm going to make a a covenant of peace with them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to send showers in, in season. And I'm going to provide for them. No longer, as he say, no longer would any human being act as a mediator between God and his people. Only God and his Messiah would be the shepherd of his people. So the message of hope is an obvious difference with the, with the picture that's given in verses 1 through 15. With this message about the neglect and the abuse of human kings. The many I wills in verses 10 through 29 suggest Yahweh's determination to be personally involved in the lives and the future of his people. And then in verses 17 through 24... These verses cover uh, his determination to judge and deliver. Let's look at verses 17 through 22. And as for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. Is it too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture, that you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture, and to have drunk the clear waters, that you must foul the residue with your feet? And as for my flock, they eat what you have trampled with your feet, and they drink what you have fouled with your feet. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep, because you have pushed with side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns and scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. Here the Lord now stopped talking about, or talking to the corrupt shepherds, and he started talking to his people, his flock, his sheep. Not only would he rescue and take care of them, but the coming divine shepherd would also be a righteous judge. The previous shepherds, the former shepherds, allowed and even took part in the oppression of the weak sheep in the flock. The Lord would be against those who were greedy or for those who were unfair and who took advantage of the weak sheep. Like a shepherd who had to judge between sheep to, to, to be bred and sheep that were sold to be butchered, the Lord will be judged between uh, uh, the, the people who need His care and those who deserve His judgment. Yahweh has promised to be a righteous judge who would save His flock, and He would single out those who were truly His and those who were not His. Verses 23 through 24. <clears throat> he says, I will establish one shepherd over them, And he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. And I will make a covenant of peace with them and cause wild beasts to cease from the land. And they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. The coming shepherd will be known as my servant David, verse 23 says. He was one from the line of David who was a fulfillment of the promise made in the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And he's going to set up an everlasting throne of David. And when he said, my servant David, it represents hope of a future resurrection, a time of great happiness and prosperity and achievement for Israel. David was characterized as a man after God's own heart. Yeah, he messed up, but he loved God and he repented and, and you know, he, he always wanted to do right with God. He wasn't like the rulers before him who were corrupt and who only served themselves. This new king was going to be a servant of the Lord. And he also, he, he'll also be God's personal representative who will reconfirm the Davidic covenant of 2 Samuel 7. And he's going to take care of the Lord's flock. He's going to be Yahweh's shepherd. And he's going to be a prince among them, it says here. Look at verses 25 through 31. I will make a covenant of peace with them and cause wild beasts to cease from the land. And they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them and, I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will cause showers to come down in their season. There shall be showers of blessing. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield her increase. They shall be safe in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bands of their yokes and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. And they shall no longer be a prey for the nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely, and no one shall make them afraid." I will raise up for them a garden of renown, and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land, nor bear the shame of the Gentiles any more. Thus they shall know that I, the Lord their God, am with them. And they, the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord God. You are my flock, 
the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God, says the Lord. This is the promise of a covenant of peace. So Ezekiel finishes this series of message with the Lord's promise of a covenant of peace with his people there in verse 25. A covenant of peace would be given, would govern the land, according to verses 25 through 26, which probably refers to the new covenant that Jeremiah promised in Jeremiah chapter 31. The law of God would be written on the hearts of the people and they would know the Lord and they would obey His will. And the title here, Covenant of Peace, indicates that this new covenant relationship is going to provide His people with peace. The peace and the rest that man lost because of sin in the Garden of Eden and which the Mosaic Law promised as a result of, of obedience in obeying the laws and the Mosaic Laws, the Jewish laws and the Mosaic Laws. But in spite of Israel's disobedience, the prophet saw a coming restoration of peace and all the other characteristics of life, uh, again, that were experienced in the garden before the fall. This is going to come to pass in the Messianic age with the restoration of the ideals of, of, of life that was meant to live or that was lived in, like I said, in the garden before the fall. So this covenant is the same as the one promised in Ezekiel chapter 16, which will establish an unbreakable bond between God and his people. And it will assure their well-being, and he will personally act as a mediator, mediator of that covenant. And in verse 26, notice what God says, I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And this starts a list of the benefits of the covenant of peace. There's going to be showers at the right season in verse 27. There's, there, those showers are going to produce beautiful and bountiful crops. The people will dwell securely and freely, verse 27 and 28 says. There aren't going to be any famines or threats from enemies, verse 29 tells us. The people will know that God, their shepherd, is with them and that Israel, his flock, is his people, according to verse 30. So this covenant looks forward to events and promises never experienced the first time that they returned to Israel from captivity. The last four messages in chapters 35 through 39 magnify the promises of his covenant of grace that he mentions in verses 11 through 16. But the main character of, verse, of chapter 34 is God's perfect shepherd king, Jesus who was the exact opposite of the corrupt leadership that, that resulted in the exile of God's people. There are eight character traits about this promised future king that may be learned from verses 11 through 31 here. And these characteristics were fulfilled in the life and the ministry of Jesus as we see in the Gospels. First, he has a special relationship with Yahweh. In verses 11 through 16, the shepherd is God. Verse 16 says, but in verses 33 and 24, the shepherd is my servant David. So the use of the personal pronouns I more than 30 times and my more than 15 times suggests that this shepherd would be God in a personal form. The same fact may be found in the good shepherd passage in John's gospel where Jesus said, I and my father are one. Second characteristic, he will feed his sheep. Verse 13, 26, 27, and 29. Like the shepherd of Psalm 23.1, his, his sheep won't lack. It, they won't need anything. 
Jesus is the bread of life and the water of life, and he satisfies the needs of the sheep, so he will not have any, they will not have any lack. First, third, I'm sorry, the third characteristic of Christ is, is he will gather his sheep together, verse 12 and 13 says here. No longer are they to be scattered, a scattered flock. And in the New Testament, the church was unified through Christ, Matthew 12, 30. And Ezekiel saw the day when the Messiah would gather all his sheep in a wonderful union in Matthew chapter 13. Fourth, he will establish his people peacefully in their land, verses 14 and 15 say here. And this copies Psalm 23, which tells of the servant's care for his flock. And under the rule, under Christ's rule, the flock has no want, no worry, no weakness, no wickedness, no death, no fear, no defeat, no deficiency, no judgment, and no end. And all qualities that promote peace and security will be theirs. And all of those are found in Psalm 23. Number five. Jesus will rule with justice and compassion, verse 16 says. Jesus began his public ministry by claiming the role of the servant of the Lord. Justice and compassion will also characterize Christ's reign in the last days. We see that in Revelation 20, verse 4. Sixth, he will personally judge his people, verses 17, 20, and 22 tell us here. Unlike the heartless kings of Judah and Israel, he will judge them with fairness and righteousness. And Jesus was presented as a righteous judge of his people who gave to each a just reward, Romans 14. Number seven, he'll be the only true shepherd, verse 23 here says. There will be no rivals to his ministry. Jesus was and is the way, the truth, and the life. And last, the eighth characteristic that we find here in verses 11 through 31, Jesus will mediate a covenant of peace, verse 25 says. When people enter into a covenant of peace with the shepherd, they also make peace with God. So in closing, this covenant of peace is an everlasting covenant. An everlasting covenant. So we can see a lot more in this passage than Ezekiel could. You see, Ezekiel could only see the promises as a future hope in verses 11 through 20, uh, 31. He could only see them as yet still future, the redemption that was come to pass and still a future day. On the other hand, we can see the whole thing. We can see their historical setting from the Old Testament and their fulfillment in Christ because he has come. Chapter 34 is closely related to Psalm 23 and John 10. And if you look at all, you study these three chapters together side by side, you will see the characteristics of God's perfect shepherd, Jesus Christ. The hope of the Messiah increased with God's promise of one shepherd who would regather the people and restore the line of David to bring people to a personal knowledge of God. So the day will come when Israel won't be a prey to the nations anymore like they are today. But God says, I will. And when he says that, he is going to do it. Father, again, we thank you for this wonderful chapter. Father, just seeing the, the beautiful promises that, that have come to pass when Jesus came the first time. And we know that when he comes a second time, there's going to be more, God. We'll be in heaven with him, Lord. We'll be at the supper of the Lamb, Father. There'll be so much to look, there's still so much to look forward to. So, Father, we look to this now, and, and Father, we, 
Father, we need to, again, closely examine our hearts and make sure we are on that path to glory. That we're on that heavenly road, God, that narrow road. And, Father, that we, we don't stray from it, God. Lord, for that road to destruction is very wide and it's very easy to, to, to get on to, Lord. So, Father, help us, point out to us, God, in our life where we need to get back to the right path, to that narrow road, God, that we will stay on that road, that our eyes will stay focused on the finish line where Jesus Christ is standing there waiting to receive us. Father, we thank you. We give, our, give you honor and glory. We thank you so much for your beautiful word, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.